You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. Second Timothy chapter 2, we're going to be, uh, this is kind of the second message in a mini-series on Wednesday nights, you might call it, in which I plan to cover some Bible doctrines. And, uh, and I know it's a different kind of preaching than what I've done before, but I think it's important. And really tonight's message is about the importance of that very thing, about the reason we need to know our doctrine and the reason we need to, we need to, to represent truth in a culture that needs to hear it. So 2 Timothy chapter 2, 2 Timothy chapter 2, we'll begin reading in verse 14, and this is the passage we read a couple of weeks ago when I review it and then move forward from here. It says in verse 14, of these things, put them in remembrance, charging them before the Lord that they strive not about words to no profit, but to the subverting of the hearers. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. But shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness. And their word will eat as doth a canker, of whom is Hymenaeus and Philetus, who concerning the truth have erred, saying that the resurrection is past already, and overthrow the faith of some. Father, we ask that you'd help us tonight as we look into your word. I pray that you would help us to see the importance of knowing doctrine, the importance of knowing what we believe and why it matters in this culture, but also not just in the culture, but for our own lives as disciples and our role and function as a church. God, we ask that you'd bless it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. So as I said, two weeks ago began this uh, kind of a mini-series on doctrine, and, and some of the seed thoughts were born out of a book called Why Baptist by Jim Alter, and if you haven't read it, I do recommend it. He does a good job of kind of simply explaining, and he calls it Baptist. He comes from the angle of the fact that we're Baptists, and, uh, and I appreciate that, but you could also say uh, they're not just Baptist principles, they're, they're Bible principles, and see, we're, we're Baptists because we're Bible believers. We don't practice a, a set of beliefs established on traditional liturgy or ritual just because. We're, and I'm not saying that tradition has no value. I, I think it probably has more value sometimes than what we realize. But it's just that we don't base what we believe on tradition. Uh, we believe what we believe because we have God's preserved word. And that's where it starts for us. We're, we're in a religious culture that, that tends to downplay the importance of doctrinal purity for the sake of ecumenical unity. And, but nowhere in the Bible are we given license to set aside or release good doctrine for the sake of unity. Purity of doctrine always overrides unity of fellowship. Now, as a balance to that, um, I do believe the strongest unity among believers is when there is an agreement on the purity of doctrine. So there is unity, but it comes as a result of purity, not instead of purity. Uh, so we started in here in 2 Timothy chapter 2, and we looked at these verses more detail. I'm just going to kind of go over these as a review before we move on. But this is Paul exhorting Timothy 
to have doctrinal purity. So uh, we already read it, but verse 14, he's telling Timothy, he's saying that of these things, put them in remembrance, charging them before the Lord that they strive not about words to no profit. So there were those in the church there in Ephesus uh, that were influencing the church to, to, to argue about things that, that were of no profit, that these were empty words and false teaching has no profit. That's what he's saying. As a matter of fact, he ends the verse and says, but to the subverting of the hearers, and that word subverting, in the, the Greek word for that word is catastrophe, with a K. Catastrophe, that's the end result of false doctrine. That's the end result of, of false teaching. So he says then there's a counter to that false doctrine in verse 15, and here's the counter. He says, study... To show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. You know what the counter is to false teaching? It's study. The counter to false teaching is for you and I to open our Bibles and rightly divide, or as I've heard a preacher say, to cut it straight. Let's just get into the Bible and study it and find out what it says. That's the way to counter catastrophic False doctrinal teaching, rightly dividing, cutting it straight. And it leads us to a life without shame. If we rightly divide the word of truth, then we can stand before God unashamed. And that defines, I think, describes how most of us want to end up. To stand before God unashamed. He goes on and he says in verse 16, But shun profane and vain babblings. And so if you've ever wondered if letting down the doctrinal walls... If, if that's really not that big of a deal, just look at Paul's language here. When he says there are some false teachers and they've got empty words and they're causing catastrophe in people's lives. He says, shun, avoid, stay away from, separate yourself from those that proclaim unholy, useless teachings. In verse 17, look how he describes it. And their word will eat as doth a canker. And that word is gangrene. It's rot. And if we don't get it out of there, it will infect the whole body. That's what he's saying here. Verse 18, he ends it with saying, uh, who concerning the truth, these, these men concerning the truth have erred, saying that resurrection is past. And look at the, at the, the result and, and overthrow the faith of some. There are some who had their faith overthrown because these men, Hymenaeus and Philetus, were coming in and saying the resurrection is already past. We already missed it. And they gave up hope and their faith was overthrown. It caused spiritual catastrophe. See, the point that Paul is making is that there, is, there should be purity over unity. He says, no, when there is false doctrine, shun, avoid vain babblings, get it, get it away, separate. Where there is purity, there can be unity. But where there is a difference in doctrine, there should be separation. That's the point that he's making. And Paul's letters make it clear that doctrine matters. Uh, he, he spent most of his time writing letters with this main thought, teach the truth. If you were to look at his epistles, and, and I have been uh, recently um, as a pastor looking at the pastoral epistles, and, it, and it, it shouldn't be a surprise to me, but how often Paul says, teach the truth. Teach the truth. And if I don't do anything else as your pastor, if I simply proclaim the truth, I'm fulfilling the role that God has for me as your pastor to teach the truth. 
It sounds simple, doesn't it? I mean, read God's, if you read God's word and form your doctrinal positions from God's word, you should be doing right. Read what Paul wrote. Read the apostles' doctrine. These are words inspired by the Holy Ghost and preserved for us. We should just believe it. It sounds easy. But you start looking around and at the religious landscape and even the Baptists are like Baskin-Robbins. 31 flavors. You look around and, and you can't even, if you see the name Baptist on a church uh, now, you're not really sure exactly what they believe. And it, it seems to matter. That name on the sign seems to matter less and less these days. And you should be able to look at a label and know what it means and know what's in it. If you pick up a, a package of food at the, at the store and you read the label, I mean, it should be obvious what's in it. Well, and churches, it doesn't seem to matter as much anymore. And there's, there's this trend for churches to call themselves by a name that doesn't give you any indication what they believe. I mean, it's kind of a, you know, just a, a word, a positive word, church. And you'd fill in the blank and, and you can call it whatever you want. Um, but that may be for many reasons, but it makes you wonder if one, if what they believe doesn't matter to them, or number two, what they believe, they don't want what they believe to matter to you. They just want you to come. See, either way, they're downplaying the doctrine with an ambiguous sounding name. The name Baptist should mean Bible doctrine. I mean, it should be a synonym for Bible doctrine. But even among Baptists, there are so many differences now. And you might say, well, what's the big deal if, if someone's a you know, Methodist or a Catholic or, or Lutheran or non-denominational? They can love God just as much as I can love God. And I'm not going to dispute that. Of course they can love God as much as, as we do. And I wouldn't doubt that there are some in other religions and other churches that might have a more sincere love for God than I do sometimes. I'm not disputing that at all. And I'm not questioning their love for God. They may love God more than I, but doctrine matters. The position makes a difference. And the name Baptist should mean something. Now let me say this. We're looking to have the right position, but we should also always strive to right, have the right disposition. And there are plenty of Baptists and plenty of independent fundamental Baptists out there, and they have the right position, but their disposition isn't drawing anyone in. Come on. Come on. And there should be a balance. If we have the right position, we should love people enough to have a Christ-like disposition and want them to have the same position, end up at the same position that we do, if we really believe that we believe what the Bible says. And so there's a balance to be had between position and disposition, a Christ-likeness. It's possible to have both. And I've known people that have both, and I've known people that have the right position, but not, not the right disposition. And let's be careful that we continually strive for that balance. But here's why doctrine matters. It matters because truth is under attack. Truth is under attack. And not just the specific truth being taught. Those are under attack, obviously. But I mean the concept of truth is, itself is under attack. See, one of the things we're battling in this culture is the resistance to objective truth. And, and that postmodern mindset, it, it's called postmodernism. And, and for a while, decades, it has started to define our country for a number of years. And postmodernism questions truth. And it's skeptical of anything stated as absolute. But I don't think we're still, I don't even know that we're still postmodern. 
Uh, if you start to really analyze what's happening in our culture, it seems as we've, we've gone now a step further. And what used to be skepticism as a postmodern society has turned into a philosophy that states there is no truth except what you define as truth. See, we've almost moved past postmodernism and become post-truth. As a matter of fact, in 2016, I was reading it this week, the term post-truth was the name the word of the year by the Oxford Dictionary. And I really think that starts to define the culture that we live in. We're post-truth in that there's no trustworthy source of truth anymore. And you think about all the fake news this year, how, how that hashtag has been so big on Twitter, and you look at the deep fake videos, you can't believe what you hear out of the media. You can't even believe what you see in a video anymore because it could be totally made up. It could be a computer that looks like a person. You know, so people stop seeking truth out there and they determine their own truth. They say, well, I can't really trust. I don't know. You can't tell me there are absolutes. What I believe is the absolute, which kind of is a little bit contradictory. There are no absolutes except what I say is an absolute. And then there are absolutes, but it's a little bit contradictory. What they decide to believe matters the most. My truth. That's kind of the mantra now, isn't it? So it doesn't really matter what reality says. An individual now determines their own reality. And if you don't agree with that, just look at how the mindset is leading us us down some very dark paths. I mean, I choose who I love. Man, woman, it doesn't matter. My truth. That's my truth. Or I choose who I am. Man, woman, uh, all of it. None of it, it doesn't matter, it's my truth. That is where the cultural mindset that we have of post-truth has led us, is that there's no truth except my truth. And yet, the mentality of the culture has also begun to creep into churches. And we would never admit that, and we'd say, that surely that can't be happening. Um, but look over at 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15. This is a verse we're familiar with here, we'll be in the pastoral epistles Tonight, it says, verse, 1 Timothy 3.15, it says, But if I tarry long, uh, let's start in verse 14. These things write unto thee, hoping to come unto thee shortly. But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. So, listen, a pillar is a support. Uh, the ground is the basis or foundation And what Paul is saying in describing the church, a local church, he's saying if there should be a place to find truth, it should be in a local New Testament church. That's where you should go if you want to find truth. If you want to go somewhere where there's not fake news, go to a local New Testament church. If you want to go somewhere where there's no deep fake videos, you're just hearing truth, go to a local New Testament, and more specifically, a local New Testament, it should be a Baptist church. If we're biblicists, then truth should be more strongly supported as the pillar and, and based as the ground. It should be more strongly supported and based right here than anywhere else. And yet, like the culture, truth is under attack in religion, in religious circles too. The ecumenical mindset, which the ecumenical mindset is that we downplay purity of doctrines for unity's sake... And that mindset downplays doctrine and says it's, there's, doctrine is actually, there are some doctrines that are non-essential. That's what they say. Churches have been affected by that. 
there, uh, some credit Augustine as being the first one to say this. He said, in essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. And in all things, charity. Now listen, I believe in essentials, unity. And I believe in all things, charity. But it's that middle phrase that, that, that gets us, if we buy into it, is that, and you say, in non-essentials, Liberty. Well, it sounds maybe good on the surface, but when you dissect the statement, you have, that means you have to label some truth as non-essential. That means you have to say that some doctrine matters less than other doctrines. So where do we draw the line? Which do we say would be non-essential? Would we say that salvation is non-essential, the, the doctrine of salvation? Well, some do. Would we say that eternal security or assurance of salvation is, is non-essential? Would we say that baptism is non-essential? And there are plenty that do. And by the way, you know, if we draw a tight line when it comes to baptism, there are plenty of people out there that draw looser lines, um, but baptism is an essential doctrine, and I don't want to be guilty of loosening up on an essential doctrine just because it makes things easier for us as a church at times. No, baptism is an essential doctrine, but, but the, the culture out there is saying there are some that are non-essential. Some say baptism is non-essential. Some say the nature of the church is non-essential, and it's government, or it's membership, or it's mission, or it's makeup. They're saying it's non-essential. It doesn't really matter. Some say the Lord's Supper is non-essential. It doesn't really matter how you do it. It doesn't really matter what it looks like. It's non-essential. Just do it however you want. Some say the second coming is non-essential. Some say that, that the future eschatology, the future judgment, the end time events, that they're non-essential. So, so how strongly then do we strive to hold to doctrines that some might label less essential? Do we say that some are less essential? Do we say that some truth matters more and some doesn't matter very much? Well, we first have to answer the question, is there any non-essential truth? Are, are there doctrines that are less important than others? And if you pay attention to church circles today, then you'd almost think that's the case. Come Sunday, we won't shove doctrine down your throat. All right, let, us, let us lay aside doctrine and we can all be one in Christ. We want you to feel welcome so you won't get, we won't get preachy about doctrine. Can you imagine that at church saying, we won't get preachy on Sunday about truth. And listen, I think anyone around Sioux Falls should feel welcome at Eastside. I do. I, I, but if we believe the Bible, we can't have unity without doctrinal purity. That means there's no non-essential truth. Things that are different can't be the same. And according to what Paul wrote, all truth and doctrine matters. Even the things others might label as non-essential. And I just want to look at how Paul described doctrine and, and the importance of it through the, his letters here. These are mentions of doctrine in Paul's letter. Turn over to 1 Timothy chapter 1. In case you think that doctrine is non-essential, and in case you think that truth doesn't matter and that truth is non-essential, let's just look at Paul's emphasis on doctrine. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 1 verse 3. It says, as I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus when I went into Macedonia, that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine. Now, that sounds pretty exclusive, right? No other doctrine. And that makes it seem like all doctrine is essential. Some might even say Paul was judgmental and being dogmatic to claim absolute truth. But this verse should be all we need to be convinced there's such thing as absolute truth. He's saying there's no other doctrine. Don't teach any other doctrine. It's not popular to be exclusive in religion. 
And yet Jesus Christ said, I am what? The way, the truth, and the life. There's no other way to get to my Father but by me. And yes, I know that religion, the popular thing in religion, is to say that all paths lead to God. All roads end up in the same place, but Jesus Christ was exclusive. Things that are different are not the same. If Jesus Christ said there's only one way, then we have to assume that some other religion that teaches there are multiple ways can't be right. Jesus Christ said only one. It's exclusive. 1 Timothy verse one, chapter 1, verse 9 Look what it says. Talking again about doctrine. Knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and for sinners, for unholy and profane, for murderers or of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for whoremongers, for them that defile themselves with mankind, for men-stealers, for liars, for perjured persons, and if there be any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine... So again, he says there is an exclusive doctrine and Paul lumps those that teach anything other than sound doctrine with ungodly and with sinners and with unholy and murderers and whoremongers. And if we don't think that teaching sound doctrine matters, we're not paying attention to what Paul was writing to Timothy as a pastor. Look at chapter 4, verse 6. 1 Timothy 4, 6. If thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things, thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished up in the words of faith and of good doctrine, whereunto thou hast attained. Look down in verse 13. Till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. That's what we're trying to do in this series. We're, we are trying to give attendance to doctrine, and attendance means to give attention to. It, it means to bring near in such a way that you can touch it. That's literally what it means. If you give attendance or give attention, it means you bring it close enough to touch it. And our preaching and our teaching at Eastside should always focus on the importance of doctrine. We should bring it near. We should never separate or remove ourselves from sound doctrinal teaching. We bring it near. We can't get away from it. We shouldn't loosen up just to draw more in. No, we should rather learn to articulate sound doctrine in such a way that others are drawn in and they say, I want to know, I want to believe what they believe. Listen to how they described it. Look down in verse, uh, chapter 4, verse, uh, we just, uh, verse 16. It says, Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. Continue in them, for in th- doing this thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. Good doctrine has power that nothing else does. Look down in verse five, chapter 5, verse 17. It says, Let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially they who labor in the word and doctrine. Good, uh, look down in chapter 6, verse 1. Let as many servants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor that the name of God and his doctrine be not blasphemed. Listen, this is an important one too, is that some people believe that doctrine is simply what you know, but doctrine either confirms or denies what you believe. No, our behavior either confirms or denies what we believe. There's an attachment, a connection between what we believe and how we behave. And we can say we believe one thing, but if we do another, it it will cause others to look at what we believe and discount it. But if, we, but if we operate in such a way that honors Christ, it will cause people to, to look at what we believe and it says, 
that they'll honor it, that, that they won't blaspheme the doctrine because we've confirmed it with our lives. Listen, sound doctrine impacts behavior. And a lot of people think that doctrine is so, simply, it's simply, um, what's the word, T- intangible. But doctrine is practical. Doctrine affects how we live. Look down in 1 Timothy 6, verse 3. It says, if any man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine, which is according to godliness. So again, doctrine, uh, which is according to godliness. So godliness is in how we live and how we express our, our lives as Christians. So our doctrine, again, it, it determines our behavior. It's not intangible. It's expressed through how we live. Look at verse 4. He is proud, knowing nothing but doting about questions and strives of words, whereof cometh envy and strife, railings, evil surmisings, perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness, from such withdraw thyself. The result of wrong doctrine, again, as we've already seen, it's catastrophe. They're proud, they know nothing, they've got questions that result in envy and strife and evil surmisings and railings and perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds that are destitute of of the truth. And when we are destitute of the truth, it ends in, as we've already seen from from Paul to Timothy, it ends in catastrophe. And what does he say? He says, from such withdraw thyself. There it is again that we we are looking for purity above unity. Let's look over to 2 Timothy. This is, again, the second letter to the, to the pastor Timothy at Ephesus. Look at verse 10 of chapter 3, 2 Timothy 3.10. It says, But thou hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience, persecutions, afflictions. And, and Paul says to Timothy, listen, you've known all these things. Follow after these things. Continue in these things. But what's the first thing he said that you ought to continue in there in verse 10? But thou hast fully known my doctrine. It matters. Look down at verse 16. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. The word perfect there means complete. You can't be a complete Christian without, without doctrine. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2. Preach the word, be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers, having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. Here's where we see doctrine means just the things that we teach, and the synonym that he uses there in verse, in, uh, verse 4, he says they shall turn away their ears from the truth. So truth and doctrine are synonyms. They mean that they're, they're referring to the same thing. And if that doesn't describe our society, I don't know what does. You know, that, that's why we need to give attendance to doctrine. Because they don't want to hear doctrine. Nobody wants to hear that, that, that the Bible is right and they're wrong. Nobody wants to hear that, that where they line up in their own set of beliefs doesn't match what God gave us in his book. And it's been downplayed by churches as non-essential. No wonder those out there are downplaying doctrine because even churches are doing that. But listen, truth needs representation. And if if no one else is going to represent truth in this culture, I mean, if not Bible believers, where will it come from? 
It, we have a responsibility. And we'll, we'll let's look at a few more verses, then we'll start wrapping it up. Titus chapter 1. This is the epistle, the letter of Paul to Titus. Paul uh, says in verse, chapter 1, verse 9, holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. This is qualifications of a, of a bishop or qualifications of leaders is that they hold, faith, hold fast the faithful word and that they are able to teach by sound doctrine to exhort and convince the gainsayers. The churches that are building massive crowds by downplaying doctrine and emphasizing other elements are called successful, but are they convincing anyone of the truth? Are, are they convincing the gainsayers? No, I think they're probably then just kind of folding them in and, 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 if, and changing what they are to allow others to come in and remain unchanged. But listen, our purpose as a church is not to adjust to the culture. It's to preach the truth. And then as others come in, they're convinced. We, there are gainsayers that come in. There are those that come in and they don't believe what we believe. And we should just simply keep preaching the truth. Not adjusting what we are, but continue to preach the doctrine so that the Holy Spirit can work through the word of God and convince a gainsayer. Some of you may, in this room right now, you may have been a gainsayer. You may have come in thinking, uh, well, you know, I don't believe this. And maybe you've been skeptical that the truth convinced you. I, I mean, I, I've seen it happen. It's happened to many of you right here in this room. That's why we do what we do. We're not in the entertainment business. You know, we, we can't compete with concert venues and nightclubs and comedy clubs anyway. So let's just be what we're meant to be, the place where people go to find and hear truth. Amen. Titus chapter 2 verse 1 says, But speak thou the things which become sound doctrine. Verse 7, In all things showing thyself a pattern of good works, in doctrine showing uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity. Verse 10, not purloining, but sh- that's a great word, isn't it? But showing all good fidelity that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. The word purloining, can't hardly say it, but it means holding back, hiding something. That, uh, so fidelity is faith or conviction. So the challenge here is that to servants or employees to have a testimony of faith before their employers. Don't hold it back. Don't, re- don't hide it. Their behavior should confirm their doctrine before their, their master, before their employer. Once again, behavior and belief, they're tightly connected. So doctrine is practical. And when you read, and I, we could keep looking at some of these, but when you read Paul's pastoral epistles, it doesn't take much of an analysis to realize doctrine matters. All doctrine matters. There's no such thing as non-essential doctrine. And here's the takeaway is that there is absolute truth. It all matters. We can know it and we're responsible to represent it both in our teaching and in our behavior. I'll say it again. There is absolute truth. It all matters. We can know it and we're responsible to represent truth both in our teaching and our behavior. That part is undeniable. But the disconnect comes sometimes then in how committed we are to do it. The question is how committed will we be to it? How committed are we to sound doctrine? Yes, it's absolute. Yes, it matters. Yes, it's knowable. Yes, we're responsible to represent it to this culture. But in an age in which truth is questioned at every turn, how willing are we to be the ones that take the time to know it and then have the courage to stand for it. 
Because remember what the Bible says in 1 Timothy 3.15. The church is the pillar and ground of the truth. We are to support the truth as a church. But you, make, you look around sometimes and you wonder how many are strong enough to support the truth? How many are committed enough to support the truth? Because we all know that in the culture in which we live, the pressure against those that are proclaiming absolute truth will just get heavier and heavier and heavier. And if our job is to support as a pillar and ground of the truth, if we're supposed to support, we better have some strength. Because it's not going to get easier. The burden will not get lighter. So doctrine matters, but how much does it matter to you? Does it matter enough for you to represent truth at your school, teenager? Does it matter enough to, to you to know it and support it at work? I mean, because there's a lot of different beliefs in your workplace, probably, except Judy. Judy and I are pretty much on the same page. So does it matter enough to, rep, for, to you to represent it with your family while maintaining a Christ-like spirit at the same time? Some of you have unbelieving family. And, it, and it's, it's hard to know how to represent truth and how to have a good disposition while you're doing it. Uh, there's a man named Alexander Solzhenitsyn. He was a Russian novelist and he won the 1970 Nobel Peace Prize. He was a critic of the Soviet Union. He was a critic of communism. And because of his criticism... He spent years in the Gulag, which is the Soviet Union forced labor camps. In his Nobel lecture, he said, one word of truth shall outweigh the whole world. And he would know because in a political climate that embraced communism, where all the information is spun in such a way that it fits their narrative, regardless of the facts, then, then finding truth in a setting like that probably would have been difficult. But by the way... I mean, can I say this then? I think we all agree that's where we're headed. Isn't it exhausting to try to um, muddle through the spins and the slants that are presented by our politicians and by our media in this day and age? I mean, if 2020 has done anything, it's reminded us that the source of the information we're receiving has to be considered because no one simply passes on facts anymore without angles. And to get information out now, it's easy. Anybody can do it at any time. I mean, all the time. And that's all the more reason for God's people to be able to plainly declare truth. Because we will get to the place, I believe, there, that there will be plenty of people tired of the spin. And they just want the facts. They get tired of the spin and they just want somebody to stand and boldly proclaim doctrine. Boldly stand and proclaim the truth, as, Tim, as Paul said, to rightly divide it, just to cut it straight. You know, don't give me all the extra, just stand up and declare the truth. And I do believe that people are often more discerning than we give them credit for. And they'll get, they'll get tired of the spin, and they'll get tired of the slant. And where are they going to go to find a place that still represents truth plainly? Well, hopefully, Eastside Baptist Church and Bible Baptist Church. And churches that have the word of God that can just stand and boldly proclaim it. Amen. Back at, Well, in a 1978 speech, Solzhenitsyn said, Truth is seldom pleasant. It is almost invariably bitter. And maybe that's the reason so many in our culture, and maybe that's the reason so many in our churches that claim to be the pillar and ground of the truth, have downplayed the essential nature of doctrine because truth is divisive. 
Truth separates. It's polarizing. And like he said, it can be bitter. Uh, Truth is seldom pleasant. It is almost invariably bitter. So have you ever told somebody, you say, well, I don't know about that. Have you ever told somebody the truth in a way that you thought would be helpful, but it backfired? Yeah, I think uh, Kena has. I can... I mean, there's no denying he probably has. You know, Kena. What I appreciate about, appreciate about Kena, though, is, is that you can tell him the truth and, and he receives it. I'm grateful for that. But have you ever told somebody the truth in a way that you thought would be helpful? Brother Gabe, has it ever happened to you? You tell somebody the truth and it backfires. You're just trying to present the truth to them. We've talked about some of those things. You just get to give somebody the truth and you think you do it in a way that even is, has the right disposition, but, but they don't receive it and either it, it either um, ends a relationship or it affects it, it alters it in a major way. You know, when you have a family member or a friend that needs to hear truth and you want to just convey it, man, it's a tough line to walk. They need the truth, but truth is seldom pleasant and it's, invari- it's almost invariably bitter. That's why we need the right disposition with the right position, by the way. Convey truth with love. But if bitterness is the result, we want it to happen because of the position, not the disposition. On the other hand, we can't let the dividing nature of truth, which it is divisive. If you wonder if truth is divisive, if you wonder if people with different ideals, um, if it's divisive, uh, just watch the news the last few months. Drive down Grand Slam and see Biden, Harris, Trump, Pence, Biden, Harris, all the way down the street, right? Truth has been divisive. You know, somebody's ideals are divisive. No one wants to hear that they're wrong and no one wants to be confronted with with truth if it goes against what they believe. But on the other hand, we cannot let the dividing nature of truth cause us to stop declaring it. It's our job. And we have to have faith in the thought that Christ told his disciples in John 8, 32, when he said, if ye continue in my word... Then are ye my disciples indeed. There's another connection between belief and behavior. If you continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. And then he said, and ye shall know the truth. And the truth shall make you free. See, truth has one of two effects. For those who don't want to hear it, it drives them away. But for those willing to embrace it, truth makes them free. And I'm not saying it's an easy choice, but it is a simple choice, freedom or bondage. I'd rather live in freedom than the bonds of bitterness because I don't want to hear the truth. And I'd rather be confronted with truth and be free than live in ignorance and have it cost me. I'd rather embrace truth and enjoy the life of a disciple than declare that doctrine is non-essential just so we can get a bigger crowd and experience some temporary surface level unity here at Eastside Baptist Church. Listen, doctrine matters. And we live in a culture increasingly opposed to that which is true because it's offensive and it's divisive and some say it's judgmental, but we have to understand two things. Based on what Jesus Christ told his disciples in John 8, a disciple can't be a disciple without embracing doctrine. If you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed? See, my fulfilling of my purpose and yours, your fulfilling of your purpose as a child of God is dependent on how committed you are to embracing doctrine. 
But not just personal, not just for disciples, but for our church as well. See, a church it cannot be a pillar and ground of truth without embracing doctrine. Our fulfilling of our purpose as a body of Christ is dependent on how committed we are to embracing doctrine. So in the words of Solzhenitsyn, no matter how seldom pleasant and how often bitter the truth can seem, it's essential to our purpose as disciples and as a church. So really, the only choice we have is to embrace doctrine, to view it all as essential, and trust that God will bless us for representing truth in a culture that desperately needs a voice representing truth. So I'm just going to close with these three questions and then we'll have a quick invitation here. Are you willing to invest in learning Bible doctrine? And say, you say, well, you know, you haven't really taught much on doctrine. Well, um, it's a disciple's responsibility. I mean, even if I've never preached on doctrine here as a disciple, you're supposed to continue in word and be a disciple indeed. And so you have a responsibility to know Bible doctrine for yourself? Are you willing to invest in learning Bible doctrine? Um, Because if you don't think we're going to need it in this culture in the next 20, 30, 40, 50 years, then we have our heads in the sand. We're going to need to know what we believe. Are you willing to invest in that in your own life as a disciple? Second, are you willing to represent truth to a world that needs it? Because in a world of fake news and deep deep fake videos, we need some sincere people plainly, rightly dividing, cutting it straight, just letting the truth be known. We need a voice of truth. It needs to be represented. And where will it be represented if not from Jesus Christ's disciples in a local New Testament Baptist church? Third, are you willing to balance the right position with the right disposition? Because we can be right all we want to, but if we're not Christ-like, we've missed it. Because being Christ-like is pretty doctrinal too. Being Christ-like is part of the truth that we're learning about. So those three questions, are you, are you willing to invest in learning doctrine? Are you willing to represent truth to a world that needs it? And third, are you willing to balance the right position with the right disposition? Doctrine matters. And it should matter here at Eastside. Dads, moms, it should matter in your home. Disciples, it should matter to you. It should make a difference to you. And that's why we need to study things like doctrine. Let's stand together. Every head bowed, every eye closed. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.